Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the minister here. We're so grateful that you joined us today. We're in the second week of our new worship style that leads off with music. And we, I encourage you to be here early each time so that you don't miss a thing uh, when our service begins. We are off the charts today, this August 21st, for one of our five principles that we live by here. And that principle is an intentional faith development. Doing everything we can possible in between worship services to develop the faith of our members from start to finish. We start today with um, Rotation Sunday School for our children, and we have a huge chunk of our church going through volunteer training right now in the straight room, which is the second on the second floor in the children's wing of the Family Life Center. Adult programming starts tonight. Youth programming continues tonight. Children's programming starts tonight. They end 30 minutes earlier. It goes from 5 to 6.30. So children and youth will come at 5. I'm actually involved in the children's choir. I'm going to be leading the little guys with a um, guitar. You'll see that soon enough on the steps at some point. And so I am actually teaching. I'm subbing Sunday night teaching uh, the adults so our classes won't start until 5.45. For the next five weeks, adults will start at 5.45 in the social hall. And I'll be teaching from that until 6.30. And we'll be doing something fun, learning about our faith. Um, we've worked hard all summer to create the systems that we have in place for our children, youth, and adults that I think will really build our intentional faith development. And I'm grateful for everybody that's poured their heart into it, and I'm excited about this fall season that's coming. We have one more in announcement, and I'm going to call on Miss Margaret and Miss Harriet. year our United Methodist women here at Memorial seeks out one or two faithful workers in mission by giving them a special mission recognition pin and we're going to do that today uh, my name is Margaret Long and I'm serving as president of our unit and Harriet Strait is serving as vice president so she will present the pins this morning Our first recipient was born in Marietta, Georgia. She grew up there and graduated from Marietta High School, where she played basketball with Doris Chandler, a lifelong friend, who also married a young man from Greer and became a member of Memorial as Mrs. Allen Glenn. After graduating from high school, our recipient went to work at Bell Aircraft, a corporation engaged in the major war effort. It was there that she met her future husband, a young man from Clinton, South Carolina, by way of Greer. They married with Doris Chandler and Alan Glenn as attendants, and they settled in Greer. She and her husband joined Memorial and raised their family in the church. She has been a member of Memorial for 72 years and during that time has been very active in the life of the church, teaching Sunday school and participating in the uh, UMW. 
probably two of her most visible contributions involve her needlework. She, along with other members of the church, created the felt chrismons used on our tree at Christmas. New ones have been added, but many of the early ones are still used and have the initials of the creators on them. The other example of her needlework is the needlepoint needlers at the communion rail and on the wedding bench, which was created by the members of the church and dedicated to the memory of Sue Strait in 1997. Recently, she has enjoyed being a member of the Tuesday morning prayer group. Uh, though she no longer attends regularly, she still participates by addressing and signing cards sent to shut-ins monthly. Mrs. R. W. Johnson. Catherine. <laughs> Our next recipient was born in Greer. She grew up attending Memorial United Methodist Church with her parents and brothers. During her teenage years, she was very active in the church and community. During her years at Greer High School, she participated in cheerleading and was active in MYF here at the church. She was among the top of her class when she graduated from Greer in 1969, and she then went on to pursue a degree in education from Columbia College. Following her graduation from college, she taught almost every age of elementary school. It was during this time she decided to go on a date with a fellow Greer graduate and member of Memorial. The two were eventually married on a very cold day in January 1980. She continued to teach full-time until the first of her two daughters arrived. After a short break from teaching, she eventually went back to work as a preschool teacher at our own CEP. As a dedicated Sunday school teacher for years, an active member of the Magnolia Circle, she, she has helped spread the word of God to children and adults of all ages. She has served on virtually every board at Memorial and was most recently the chair of the CEP board. Since retirement, she now spends her time attending prayer group, beating almost anyone who is crazy enough to challenge her to a tennis match, and spending as much time as possible being a grandmother to her two wonderful grandchildren. Sylvia Dobson.
As you can see, we've put your hymn numbers on your left and your Bible numbers on the right. So if you'll stand and join us for our first hymn, number 384.
Let us now affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From then she shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Please be seated. The first scripture lesson is from Psalm 100. You may find that on page 936 in your pew Bible. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him and praise His name. For the Lord is good and His love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
received their Bibles in our 9 o'clock service this morning. Everybody's going back to school, including all the teachers in our church, uh, past and present. We used the blessing of the children as we gave them their Bibles, and I thought I would use that this morning as our prayer uh, for this service as well. Let us pray. Gracious God, we praise you for your wondrous works. Thank you for your many blessings and the children and youth that you give us. Today we praise you and we celebrate and lift up our youth, children, volunteers, and teachers. We ask you to bless our third graders and speak to them through the Bibles they've just received. Help them discern your will as they begin a lifetime of independent Bible study, as well as faith development in this church, their community of faith. Bless children and youth along with their parents as they begin a new school year. May their minds be open to learning and to the wonder of discovery and insight. May they be true disciples of Christ everywhere they go, offering compassion and love to those that they meet, honoring your name by upholding the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. May those they meet embrace them in the same spirit of loving acceptance. Lord, bless our teachers. May this school year be a time of grace and potential as they inspire and challenge our children. And Lord, we pray you will bless the programming Memorial United Methodist brings to your children and youth and the volunteers that make it possible. Please use us to bring your word to your children and youth of this church to inspire them to grow in faith and live in your service. Be with us all as we embark on this new program year and inspire us as we pray the prayer your son taught his disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time for you to give your tithes and other offerings. If you'll also pass the attendance register if you haven't already. If you want to give us any sort of contact information, we'll be glad to reach out to you with that uh, type of contact. And uh, also encourage you to see our note on texting to give and online giving with recurring giving.
You may be seated. We continue in our new series, Fear of the Other. We're reading a book by Bishop Will Williman where he addresses how uh, we've been motivated by fear way too many times by way too many people. And if we acknowledge that and look at scripture passages that concern that subject, we may a little bit learn a little bit about ourselves and about others. Our text today comes from 1 John, not the Gospel of John, it's a letter. 1 John 4, starting with verse 18. And you can find it on page 1902 in your pew Bible, or a couple pages within that. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It's important to recognize you may have experienced it, your loved ones may have experienced it, you may have been a part of it. Religion has motivated with fear in its history. It continues to do so today in some settings. Fear of the outcome of events. If you want these things to go well, you better fall in line with what God wants. Punishment in eternal life. You know what's coming, don't you? You need to change your ways this second because you don't know if something's coming tomorrow. And that last one, merciful, you know, children say it about their parents when they say, I'm not angry. I'm what? Disappointed. I'm disappointed. Doesn't that crush you as a child? I'm hoping it crushes them. I drop it on them every once in a while. I'm hoping it's effective. Religion has motivated with the fear of the outcome of events right now in your life. Punishment for eternal life. And that you might disappoint God if you don't do this thing. They've done so at times in great care, wanting to help someone, wanting them to become part of the family. They've done so at times in what I would deem a hateful way, turning people away from God forever. The number one reason any organization uses fear is the speed of the action that it elicits. I tell my daughter, it's time to go to bed. I want you to get up from the couch and go to your room. She goes, well... If I say, if you don't get up, there's going to be a snake on the couch right now. She's gone. Fear is used because it brings quick action until it doesn't. Until one day that person is tired of hearing it. Until one day that person is so broken by you punishing them with it. It's not effective in the long term. It's only effective in the short term. And that's not the number one reason I don't use it as part of my communication uh, as a minister. It's that I don't believe it as the way. So if we step back and we say, what drives our fear? Well, anywhere we want to be accepted. Anywhere we go, we hope to be accepted for who we are. Mayor Danner had a block party on his street on Davenport um, last night for a bunch of people in the neighborhood for a back-to-school sort of thing. And we walked over there from the house and we were uh, to go and be friendly to the community. And as we left our home, my middle schooler was at the front of the line. My third grader, what, fifth grade, wow, fifth grader. She's a fifth grader, was second. 
my wife was third and I was behind them like a duck because we were like ducks because we were on the sidewalk and we went that way over to Davenport and then when we got on Davenport we saw a big group of people sitting in tailgate chairs in my semicircle people that we did not know people that they especially did not know and that line started to come apart so that daddy may part through and lead the way and speak to these people which we do not know and that's fine I'm paid to do that and I have to do it all the time and start a conversation cold but you could see that uh, I don't know who these people are I don't know if they're going to accept me of course they did they were friendly and I said to the girls um, that's the mayor daddy's kind of a big deal here right no I didn't fly. whatever uh, workplace school church what's our fear that they're in a plan that we've got some sort of transition coming or that we should be in transition and nobody seems to be doing anything about it there's no plan but whether times are really great or whether times are difficult if you're in your church or your workplace and you feel like the leadership has thought about it they brought in smart people those people have given them ideas and now we're moving towards action people feel better what do you think it's like to be a player on a football team and walk into a stadium in which 90 to 95% of the people hope that they'll never do anything they practice for the last three months? That's got to be tough. The thing I would think that brings back fear in a player in that moment is that I've been placed in the right position. My skills have been recognized. I'm in the spot where I should be. We've talked about what we're going to do regardless of what happens out there. We've talked about what we're going to do if something shifts here. I'm placed in the pop proper position. And one thing that helps with a Christian walk with fear is progress. If you think, I'm so far from God and I'll never be close to God, I'm never even going to approach God, I shouldn't pray because I don't know, I don't know anything, is if we make progress. If we make simple sustainable progress in our Christian walk it drops our fear of who God is and what God wants so it's important when we look at the text to say are we describing the leader or the follower in terms of fear well the passage says the one who fears is not made perfect in love and so the author of that text is writing to whomever and telling them if you have fear You've not been made perfect in love. Which has truth in it, but would be a hard thing to hear. If you're scared, then you don't know enough. You haven't learned enough. You haven't loved enough. But the key is that God is coming for you. You don't have to make up the distance. The key of the scripture is, if you fear God, you have some work to do in understanding what God's love is. On the podcast, Kristen asked me, when have you been afraid? And I said, uh, yesterday, the day before that, day before that, day before that, day before that. I described a situation in which I was the most afraid on the show, but I'm 100% motivated by fear. Fear that I will do something goofy. Fear that I will say something goofy. Fear that something goofy will happen in a thing that I've organized. And that fear is a 18 to 22 cylinder engine that drives me all week long to do whatever it is 
to make sure that that failure does not happen. Is that 100% in the name of God? Mm -mm. That's my personal fear driving me. He says you will be made perfect in love. That means that it's never settled. It means that people are constantly working. God is constantly working to make us perfect over time in love. It's the love that comes in that fills the gaps that we experience that can make us perfect and available instruments to be in God's presence. Here's your quote of the day from the book. Bishop Willeman said, Jesus practiced unconstrained hospitality, inviting to his table people whom no one thought could be saved, people whom no one thought wanted to be saved. Think how many times he approached somebody, and even the people that he had previously approached on the outside of the circle said, really, those people? Those are people you want to bring in? And he did that again and again and again. The letter in verse 20 makes a pretty sharp turn. It says, okay, now that you understand that God is in love, I want you to read verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whomever does, does not love their brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. <laughs> so how many television shows and movies have you seen somebody say, are you calling me a liar? In many cases, they are. In whatever sense, in whatever way, they're making sure that that person understands something's wrong here, something's different. Yes, I'm calling you a liar. You can't say one thing and do another, the author of the text says. You know those people that say, uh, I don't need church people. They're just a bunch of judgmental hypocrites. I'll never darken those doors. Those people have been harmed by church people. Church people who have not responded in love in the way that God first loved them. Now, those people have a little work to do as well because before ever walking in the building, they're saying those people are judgmental hypocrites. Let's say, well, I don't think you can lead the way on us fixing that because you're feeling the same emotion. But for the fact, the only reason we have to give them credit is in so many cases they've been harmed by someone in the church. So my typical response is, yep, me too. But we're working on it. We are honestly working to get a little bit better by God's love and mercy. Here's what's confusing. Matthew 10, verse 34. Jesus speaking to his people. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. What are we supposed to do with that? When someone says, I take the Bible seriously, and there's only one answer to this question, my personal seminary training struggles with that because my seminary training asked more questions than it gave answers but to have a letter that says if you say you love God and you don't love other people you're a liar and then in the gospel it says I didn't come here to make friends I didn't come here with rainbows and unicorns and sparkles I came here to get some stuff done 
Isn't that hard to have both of those things in the same Bible of which we follow? So I think it's important to understand the context. And as I see it, Jesus was going to ask them to do some things and say some things in the name of God that their families were going to think were insane. That their fellow synagogue attendees were thinking were insane. That their co-workers would think were insane. And people are pleasers. If somebody doesn't like it, especially somebody they respect, they tend to turn and go back. And in my opinion, Jesus was saying, look, uh, we can't do what we have to do and please everybody. We can't. People are going to be upset and people are going to call you names and people are going to pull apart from what you're trying to do. And I can't fix that yet. But this letter is after Jesus, after his death, after his resurrection, after his reappearances, after his uh, pulling Peter aside and saying, go love my lambs, my sheep. So we are, even if people would call us goofy or misguided or wrong or even against God, we are to love people with our whole hearts. Verse 21 says, And He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. So, uh, if you had a note card in your pocket or purse, and that note card said, If you love me, you love them. And when you go out on Highway 29, and people do what they do, on Highway 29. Or are you waiting in line for whatever that thing is and somebody does what they do in line? Or a student loses his or her mind when you're trying to secure some sort of lesson and make sure everybody understands it. Or a teacher asks for more homework than any person could ever possibly do in one evening. Or a church member says, I don't know if I would have done it that way when they've thought about it for three or four minutes and you've put your whole heart into it for a year. You're to pull out that card. Uh, what, what are the two words? Actually or metaphorically? What are those two words? Uh, theoretically or realistically. Whatever. And you look at it and you go, if you love me, you love them. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. You look at that person, you pull out your card and go, wow, okay. That child whom you've done everything you could possibly do to create an environment for them and they're losing their mind over a tiny little thing. You just, mm, if you love me, you love them. Whew, okay, I love you in the name of God. It's tough sometimes, isn't it? It's really tough sometimes. And when we say... <laughs> I may, may forgive, but I'll never forget. There's potential I may forgive someone, but there's zero potential I'll ever forget what that person did. Okay. If you love me, you love them. It couldn't be any simpler to understand. It couldn't be any more difficult to do. So I'll give you some encouragement. What do you think it's like to be God and love you? (laughs) 
Those times when you're a little grumpy. Those times when you're tired. Those times when you're selfish. Those times when you really could avoid saying that thing to those group of people. You really could. You don't have to say it. You don't have to say that about that person. But you do. Because it brings release. It uh, relinquishes guilt to another individual. It makes sure that everybody knows that you didn't do whatever that is. And yet, God loves you. Before you ever thought about loving God back. Before you ever thought about loving someone else. And so, understand that God is never asking you to do something that God has not already done first much less is willing to do in the future. If you love me, you love them. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand as you're able and join us with our last hymn, number 700.
Miss Margaret and Miss Harriet, thank you for your presentation. And thank you to our recipients and everything that you've meant to our church. And my goodness, I've experienced your children a great deal. you got good, solid children, too, who are contributing uh, to this church as well. 5 p.m., our children and youth begin. Our children on the in the straight room on the second floor of the FLC on the children's wing. Our youth begin in the education building. And at 545, our adults begin in the social hall with me. And everything ends at 630. I look forward to seeing you. Go in peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Thank you.